So last week we were at the halfway point and I was starting to exhale. I was starting to feel good about this series. And then this past Tuesday I sat down at my desk and I saw that we are on the Feast of Trumpets this Sunday and I thought, yes, that is great. It's probably all about worship. There's probably lots of things I can say about that. And then I read the text. Leviticus 23, verses 23 to 25. Here they are. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. That's it. That's all we get. The Bible does not say much more about how that feast is to be celebrated. The New Testament writers don't ever explicitly refer back to the Feast of Trumpets. All it says is take a rest, blow a trumpet, the end. That's the Feast of Trumpets. I'm sure that there are people here who would be happy if that really was the end of this sermon, but... I feel the need to flesh that out a little bit. I feel the need to say a little bit more about what's going on here. And so here's the angle that I'm taking on this. Given that there's only three verses that don't say much about the Feast of Trumpets. Um, In order to understand the significance and the relevance of this feast, we need to consider the biblical symbolism of trumpets themselves. Okay, so we'll think about that. What role do trumpets play in the Bible? I looked it up. I, I didn't write it down, but if I remember correctly, trumpets get mentioned 124 times in the Bible. That's, that's a lot. That's pretty many. So what is, what is the symbolism of the trumpets? What did they mean to the people of Israel? Try to answer that question. And then we're going to consider a, a Jewish tradition that has grown up around this feast over the centuries since the Old Testament was written. A way that this feast is observed today amongst the people of Israel, even though it wasn't explicitly um, mentioned in the Bible. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. First, I'm going to pray. Holy Father, thank you that we can gather around your word. It is always always a blessing, always a privilege, always a joy to sit down at the feast of your table and to nourish our souls off your word. I really do believe and we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired. And it's useful for teaching, for instruction, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I do believe that. We do believe that. And so I pray that even in these few short verses, you will take these verses and use them to shape us into the men and women and young people and church that you want us to be. Christ's name. Amen. Dan, are you happy with this? It makes sense? Okay. Feels weird to me. Okay. All right. The Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets in Hebrew is literally Yom Teruach. That means, Yom means day. It means, Teruach means shouting. It's a day of shouting or, or blasting. It's a day of shouting. Yom Teruach, sometimes I think my kids think every day is a feast of trumpets, every day is a day of shouting, 
but in the Jewish community, this, this feast, um, this day of shouting, has taken on a different uh, name. You probably won't hear Jewish people today refer to it as Yom Teruach. You might. But more likely, they're going to call it Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is what this feast has become in, in, in modern uh, language. That means, Rosh Hashanah means head of the year. Literally, it means head of the year because this is the first day of the new year according to the Jewish civil calendar. It's New Year's Day, Rosh Hashanah. It happens in the fall according to their civil calendar. So this year, in 2022, Rosh Hashanah begins on September 25th at sundown. This Rosh Hashanah is the first of what are known as the High Holy Days, or they're sometimes referred to as the Days of Awe. I love that phrase. The Days of Awe are the ten days that begin with Rosh Hashanah, and they culminate in Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, as you probably know, is the Day of Atonement. That's ten days after uh, the head of the year, Rosh Hashanah. And Lord willing, we'll talk about Yom Kippur next week. Today, we're celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. So, as per usual, as you are accustomed to, if you've been coming here for the past month, we are going to have to offer some sacrifices in order to celebrate this feast. Now, the instructions for the sacrifices are not in that, those three verses I read from Leviticus, but they are listed in Numbers. Numbers often fills out and gives the details of the sacrifices. So, in Numbers chapter 29, this is the list of what we have to sacrifice on the Feast of Trumpets. It says, on the first day of the seventh month, that's the Feast of Trumpets. You shall, offer, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpets. And you shall offer a burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Here it is. One bull from the herd. One ram. Seven male lambs a year old without blemish. Also their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah for the bull. Two-tenths for the ram, one-tenth each for the seven lambs, with one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you, besides the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering, and the regular burnt offering and its grain offering, and their drink offerings, according to the rule for them, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. All right, so it's that time, which we've done every week for the past month, where we Go and gather up some animals. Bring them back to this altar. It is time to shed some blood as an expression of our worship. Now last week a couple of people asked me after the service uh, if, if each and every household had to go home and get those animals and bring them back because that would have been an awful lot of animals sacrificed. That's a good question. Uh, the answer is no. This is not every household that needs to do this. These animals that were just listed, they're for the whole community. They, they cover all of us. Okay? For Passover, every household is going to have to get your own lamb. But for these feasts, this list of sacrifices, this covers all of us. Um, it, so, so all we need today is one ram, seven lambs, one goat, in addition to the daily offerings. And that's going to cover all of us. Okay? But even so... That's a lot of bloodshed. That's a lot of sacrifice for a festival that's supposed to be about trumpets. Regarding the trumpets themselves, there were two kinds of trumpets in ancient Israel. Um, there were, they had metal ones 
that were made out of hammered metal. These were super loud, and they would use these to assemble everyone, almost like a dinner bell, a dinner trumpet, gather everybody. They all would also use these loud metal trumpets to convey uh, information to the whole uh, group as they traveled uh, from camp to camp in the desert. Uh, the trumpets were used to communicate messages to everybody. Super loud, these metal trumpets. They also had shofars. I bet you know that word. Shofars are made from hollowed out ram's horns. Uh, they, they have metal mouthpieces to blow in, usually made of gold or silver, and then it's a ram's horn that's been hollowed out. These two were, were quite loud, but they also, they were beautiful. They made a beautiful noise. They looked beautiful, but they also made a, a beautiful uh, melodic noise uh, when someone with skill was playing them. And it was these shofars that were blasted throughout the day on the Feast of Trumpets. It became custom to blast the shofar a hundred times throughout the day during the day of the Feast of Trumpets. That's why it's called a day of blasting. Uh, blasting the shofar became, it was associated with certain events in the life of Israel, right? When you heard the noise of the shofar, it would trigger certain memories and certain emotions. I wonder, do you have an instrument like that? Where you hear that instrument, it immediately takes you somewhere, it immediately triggers memories and emotions. Uh, for many of us, in our Western context, especially many of us who were raised in the church, uh, that instrument would be the organ. Right? You hear the organ, just imagine it right now in your head, you hear the organ, that takes you somewhere, doesn't it? Right? You've got, not everybody here, but probably many of you, have memories and have even emotions that tie in with the sound of the organ, right? In our culture, organ, uh, you, organ is not an instrument you hear just everywhere, right? It's, it's, it's specific to a particular context. And in fact, the organ is heard less and less these days. When I hear an organ, I think of a few things. I think of church, I think of a particular church that we attended when I was a small boy. I also, when I hear an organ, my mind goes back to um, a trip that my wife and I took to Paris where we went uh, to the Cathedral of Notre Dame and we saw the organ and heard the organ there. That'll always be in my mind when I hear an organ. I also, when I hear an organ, I think of an old radio program that I used to listen to before bed when I was a boy. It was called Unshackled. I don't know if it doesn't look like there's any Unshackled fans in here, but it was a popular show. In fact, I think, you might have to look this up, I think it's the longest running radio show uh, in the States. It's still going. It's, uh, it, it takes place in, they recorded in Chicago. One time my parents brought me there to watch a live recording of Unshackled. It's this um, church show. Every week it tells stories of people who have had their lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they use an organ. Uh, throughout the show, and so it's linked in my mind. And also, the other thing I always think of is baseball. Because when I was growing up, we would go to the Milwaukee Brewer games, they had an organist that would play to get the crowd to, to cheer, let's go Brewers, uh, they, would, they would play little organ riffs. And so those are the things I think of, when I hear an organ, I, think, I immediately think of all those things. It just takes me places emotionally. Maybe you have a similar constellation of emotions and memories with the organ, different from mine, but your own. For the Israelites, it was the trumpet. It was the, it was the shofar. 
the blasting of the shofar, as soon as you heard it, it triggered these things. It, the blasting of the shofar was associated with worship and celebration. It was a happy, joyful, worshipful sound. As soon as you heard that, your mind went to worship. It, it, the blasting of the shofar was also associated with royal processions, parades, parties. When a new king is anointed as king, he would, there would be a parade, a procession, where the king would march through and attended. Uh, the, the king and the parade would be attended by the blasting of the shofar. So that noise would be associated with the royal procession. The blasting of the shofar was also associated with military victory. Right? Especially, I bet you're thinking of it, the military victory at Jericho. Right? When they marched around the city seven times and then they blew those shofars and then the blowing of the trumpets, the walls crumbled and God gave them victory. Right? That was, that was impressed on their mind when they heard the shofar. They thought of that victory. And also... Because the shofar is made out of a ram's horn, uh, that sound became associated with God's provision of redemption. Remember, God provided a ram to redeem Isaac, to spare his life so that Abraham could sacrifice a ram instead of his son. And so hearing the shofar would call that story to mind and, and, and you would remember God's gracious redemption. Okay, so you hear the shofar, you're an ancient Israelite, you're thinking, worship, Royalty, victory, and redemption. Those are, the, those are the things, the thoughts and emotions that are triggered when you hear that sound. You hear it a hundred times throughout the day of the Feast of Trumpets. I think you can probably see where this is heading and how this points forward to Jesus. Worship, royalty, victory, redemption. Right? I bet you can connect those dots to Jesus. You could probably come up here and finish this sermon yourself. Right? But before we get there, I just want to talk about one Jewish tradition that I mentioned. It's related to the Feast of Trumpets. It emerged after the Bible was written. It is still practiced today. Uh, it, 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 it came to be believed uh, as, as tradition. There's not a verse that says this. This is tradition. That Rosh Hashanah was the anniversary of the day that God created Adam and Eve. Okay? So it, it's the first day of the year, it's the start of the year, and so in the, in the minds and the tradition, start of the year, first day of the year, God created Adam and Eve. It's the beginning of everything, humanly speaking. Obviously, no one knows the actual date of when that happened, but Rosh Hashanah became the, the, the date traditionally associated with that. Kind of like... We don't really know if Jesus was born on December 25th, but it doesn't really matter, does it? Right? It's just good to set aside a special day. We've decided that that's going to be the day that we're going to honor the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter if it's the actual technical day. We just want one day set aside each year to, in a special way, celebrate and commemorate that. Well, that's kind of... Shoshana. Uh, it, it, they're, they're, they're looking back and celebrating and commemorating the creation of Adam and Eve. Okay, so the Feast of Trumpets is commemorated as an, as an anniversary. It's an anniversary day. Now, anniversary, th those, are, those are times of yearly remembrance. And if you, you could remember a, a hard thing on an anniversary, a, a, a bad thing, but, but also an anniversary can commemorate a good thing, a positive thing. Right? Like a marriage or a birth. 
And, and those anniversaries, when they're remembering a positive thing, are they're looking back and they're celebrating what has passed. In the case of a, of a marriage, right, you look back and you celebrate the years you've had together. Usually you spend some time reminiscing about things from the past. And then also you're looking forward, though, on an anniversary, and you're recommitting the rest of your life to one another. The past has been good, but we're looking forward to more years of blessing together. That's typically the tone of an anniversary. And over time, that's how the Feast of Trumpets began to be observed by the people of Israel. Looking back, celebrating God's creation of us, of humans, in His own image, celebrating the special relationship that God create, created humans to have with Him, but also looking forward and recommitting to walk in joyful and covenant faithfulness with God. That theme of... Um, celebrating creation, celebrating our, the fact that we have been created by God and recommitting to the covenant going forward, that gets expressed by Jewish people today on the day of Rosh Hashanah in what's known as a Tashlik ceremony. Tashlik ceremony. That, that, that literally means, the word in Hebrew means to cast away. It's a, it's a to cast away ceremony. Tashlik is observed on the afternoon of the first day of Rosh Hashanah, so we're pretending that today uh, is, is the Feast of Trumpets, is the day of Rosh Hashanah. So this afternoon, uh, we would observe a Tashlik ceremony. And in order to do that, you have to go to a natural body of water. And you have to bring a couple things. Bring with you, if you're going to do this this afternoon, I am. Uh, if you're going to do this, find a body of water, Bring with you some breadcrumbs and bring with you your Bible. That's all you need. Okay? And what happens is you'll come to the water, hopefully not alone, but in a group. You'll come to the water and, and we're going to read together from the book of Micah, the prophet Micah in chapter 7. Just two verses, 18 and 19. This is what we're going to hear as we stand by the water with our breadcrumbs. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. We're going to read that out together. And then we're going to take our breadcrumbs and we're going to cast them into the depths of the sea. Every year, Jewish people around the world do that on the day of Rosh Hashanah. It's a symbolic way of showing that though, yes, we have sinned during the past year, we have. We're human, and we have. And yet, God takes those sins and in His graciousness, He casts them far from us. And he does not hold any of them against us. And on this first day of the new year, we're starting over. Jews all over the world will read that passage from Micah and will cast their breadcrumbs into the water. And then they'll read a prayer that's, that pulls portions from Psalm 118 and Psalm 130 together. Psalm 118 is a long psalm, and I'm not going to read it all right now. But let me read a few verses from it. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. 
This is the gate of the Lord, and the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Now, hearing those words, as you know, Jesus himself, during his earthly ministry, applied that imagery from Psalm 118 to himself, right? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. When Jesus walked the earth, he said, you know, that stone, that cornerstone, that was talking about me. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords and bring it to the horn of the altar. Jesus embodied that verse. He lived it. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the festal sacrifice. Jesus is the reason that our sins are cast far away from us. Jesus is the reason that we may enter through the gates of righteousness. And so now the connection between the Feast of Trumpets and our, our redemption begins to seem quite obvious, and it makes me wonder why this is the first sermon that I've ever heard about the Feast of Trumpets. It seems like we should be talking about this more often. It's all about our redemption and how our redemption was secured and our sins were forgiven through the festal sacrifice, Jesus Christ. The Feast of Trumpets is a time to look back, to look all the way back to the creation of the first Adam, the original Adam. That's definitely an event worth celebrating, right? Humans were created by God in His image. And we were created with the capacity to receive love from God and return love back to God and to love one another. That's amazing. That's amazing. But that first Adam wasn't able to live that out perfectly. As Paul says, it sin came into the world through one man. Through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. But, he goes on, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The Feast of Trumpets is a chance for Christians to look back at both of our representatives. We've been represented twice in the history of salvation. Right? We look all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And we see how Adam and Eve represented us and failed and introduced brokenness into this good world that God made. But then we look back to a different garden, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we see how Christ represented us and did not fail, but remained steadfast and faithful and perfectly righteous despite his trials and temptations and crucifixion. And because Jesus remained faithful and true, even when he was rejected by men, and because he represented us and took our place by being bound with cords and brought to the festal altar, now the rest of Psalm 118 applies to us as well. So we join the parade and we enter through the gates of righteousness 
And we have become the righteousness of God because Christ is our representation and we are clothed in his righteousness. And that means it's time to blast the trumpet. What was it that we said when you, that the trumpet blast represented and called to mind for the Israelites? Worship, royalty, victory, and redemption. Trumpets mean worship, right? We join our voices with the voices of those who are in heaven right now proclaiming, according to Revelation 5, proclaiming worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And it goes on and says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The blast of the trumpet calls us to worship. Trumpets also mean royalty. Jesus is the Son of God and and the Son of David. Jesus is the King of Kings. It's his royal procession that we're celebrating. The book of Revelation tells us that when Jesus returns, riding a white stallion, he's going to have a name written. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The trumpet blast means royalty. Trumpets also mean victory. Victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the trumpets mean redemption. Remember our Tashlik ceremony. We threw the bread representing our sins and the current swept them away and cast them far from us. By the way, if you're going to do this, you're supposed to find a body of water that has a current. <laughs> you don't want your sins just floating there in front of you. <laughs> find, go to a stream, go to a river. It needs to have a current. Throw your bread in there and let the current cast it far, far away. Right? That is what God has done with our sins. Cast them far from us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Do you remember how that chapter ends? That's the beginning of Romans 8. Do you remember how it ends? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. The victory is ours because he is who he is. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be what? Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what Trumpets is all about. I'll close with one final verse. One final verse to consider as we as we wrap up our meditation on the Feast of Trumpets. It says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. One time, one last blast of the trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. That is what the Feast of Trumpets is all about. Let's pray together.
Holy Father, thank you. Your, your word is so rich. We could, we could read it forever and never get to the bottom of it. And in fact, I do believe we will be reading it forever. You said in your word, the grass withers, the flower feeds, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I take that word forever to mean forever, which means we'll be reading your word forever. And I'm so thankful that it's so rich that we'll never plumb the depths, we'll never get to the bottom. So I thank you for this little time we've had to think about trumpets and how something as simple as trumpets relates to worship, relates to victory, relates to redemption, relates to the sacrifice that you sent your son to come and to make on our behalf so that our sins might be cast far from us, so that at the final blast and the final sound of the trumpet, we will be raised and we will be with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.